Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. The Mankalorian Podcast. We're talking <laughs> mank and catching up on Mandalorian. And I am joined by my fellow friend and comrade from Mandalore, Aaron Alvarado. How you doing? Pretty good, but please call me by my official um, name, Grogu. That's Grogu. Name Grogu. Yes. Did Baby Yoda need a name? <laughs> <laughs> I Honestly, I wish they hadn't named him. That's yeah. my, literally my only complaint about this season. Yeah. Well, you, you don't like the name, Grogu? <laughs> not a fan. Not, personally, a little not too a fan Dragon Ball Z for you? Uh, What's that? Is it a little too Dragon Ball Z for you? It really, like... <laughs> It made me think of Goku uh, from. <laughs> Do you ever watch Dragon Ball Z? Um, um, yeah, I know. Never. <laughs> you swore off anime years ago, if that's even anime. But, um, dude, Grogu, our, our mutual friend Skylar keeps asking me if Grogu has, if the name Grogu is actually like, if I've warmed up to it. And I, I keep breaking his heart because I keep telling him no. It, it's actually aged more poorly. Um, <laughs> it gets worse the more you think about it. <laughs> It, you know what? Like, good thing that they introduced that in an in an otherwise incredible episode because it didn't. You know, it bothered me a lot less. If it was oh, one yeah. of those more, you know, less is happening episodes of Mandalorian, and they just throw out like, oh, by the way, his name's Grogu. It's like, oh, what? What kind Does of it a have Star to be? Wars <laughs> word salad name is this? Come on. <laughs> that was that was definitely like uh, one of those Star Wars name generators from like the early. 2000s oh. of the internet yes like a geocities <laughs> website yes. where it's like star wars name generator and you punch yeah. in your birth date and your social and it pops out a you know boba grogu or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh but like i said that episode it was in though very very good oh, yeah. um yeah and uh should we start with a little mando refresher and we'll get in i the think mank? we should just yeah. because you know, we got the new episode on Friday, uh, yeah. the penultimate of the yeah. season. We've got one episode left. Um, yeah. So how, how have you felt about this season compared to season one now that it's so, almost over? I mean, I had to really get, you know, I, I had to get over the format, which has been, you know, <laughs> very kind of unimaginative in the in the travelings of the man. Like, this is a pretty it's rigid. Life. It's a it's rigid like, format. It's like, I need this thing. And it's like, well, first you have to do this thing for me. And then I'll give you that information. It's like, fine. And then he does it. Right. Like, give it to me. It's like, okay, you need to go to this other planet and actually ask this person who really knows or that go to this place that has the thing. And he goes there and it's the same deal, right? It's just a lot of quid pro quo. Okay. Um, and really more quid. Not not a lot of <laughs> – not so much quote. He's not getting uh, the fair end of the deal here. Uh, he is really having to work quite a bit. Uh so, I, I mean, I had to get past that. The reality is, is I love this show and I love that we explore these planets. Seeing the Mon Calamari planet, regardless of the events that happen. And that was a good episode. But, like, I just love exploring the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, if it's kind of a rigid uh, structure to these episodes, that's much, you know, like Hercules and Xena or Star Trek or, you know, like those types of uh, Monster of Kung the Week Fu. episodes. as they yeah. call, you know, Like, I, I'm fine with it because we get to see cool places. Now... Aaron, the last three episodes have been 
bangers like oh, yeah. one after the like the last three have been like okay this went next level these these last three episodes for me have definitely put season two ahead of season one of the mandalorian like it's a it's a better overall mm-hmm. season because of these last three episodes like really incredible stuff uh yeah, i'm curious I, for yeah do you feel similarly think, like what oh which absolutely one was your, yeah yeah i feel like they they finally got um where they wanted to uh because the show, like you said, it feels like it's on a rail. It's like they're they have this order of operations that they have to complete, and then I think once things uh, these last few episodes, things kind of really ramped up, and they they feel a little more free uh, for whatever reason creatively. Uh, but they're taking some more chances, and they're introducing more characters, um, and it's like it's really going well. I think it's it the way that they've um, the way they pulled the season off is like I think. I can't imagine that they expected it to go this well. Um, it's just, it's absolutely better than the first season. Um, and um, I just think the sky's the limit for the show. It's so weird for me because I've always been like a Star Wars fan with a caveat. Like that's, you know, I, I like it. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's a fun universe, but I'm not like a, a diehard. Never have been. Mm. Um, but, Good, and me neither. Sh- I mean, me neither. I'm like sure, a casual. No, of yeah, course not. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I love yeah. those pictures on the wall behind you, by the way. <laughs> Not just pictures, not just, <laughs> not just pictures. We've got, we've got Goku himself here. <laughs> you know what it's I like whole, about the rosy yeah. cheeks on that boy? For, oh, yeah. It's a little cold outside uh, when they did the model. For those on the audio feed, I'm holding up a life-size baby Yoda that I pre-ordered about a year ago. Just finally mm-hmm. arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Does it come with a, uh, a jar of those uh, embryos or whatever? <laughs> No, blue blue macaroons eat. is what it is. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> oh, um, no, I just think that they've they just absolutely blown it out of the water with oh yeah, uh, blown it out of the sky with these last three episodes. Yes, um, it would have been a, so easy to fumble, uh, just because we had heard leaks about what was going to happen, and sure. and we had a feeling this is this stuff was adding up to be this thing. And it, we knew these characters were go- probably going to make an appearance. Like Ahsoka? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, another certain Mandalorian that mm-hmm. was hinted at. Um, and it, it's just, I think it's exceeded all expectations, at least on my end, um, which is the most important thing. I need to be satisfied when I'm watching a TV show um, or else the show sucks. So I'm glad, I'm thankful that uh, John, the good John Favreau um, handled that well. Uh, I, I love the, the choice of <laughs> the Robert Rodriguez. John Favreau versus yeah, he's the, the bad John Favreau, <laughs> which was the former speechwriter for uh, President Obama. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, the good John Favreau, the one with the good politics, not the other one. Uh, I, you know, I've been a huge fan of John Favreau, the good one, forever. Yeah. So yeah. I'm oh, yeah. so happy that since that he's, Chef, uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Swing ever since. Ever since, uh, what was that um, that Space Kids movie? Uh, Zathura? Oh, uh, Zathura, yeah. Zathura. <laughs> I see, I've loved him ever since Four Christmases with Reese Witherspoon Ooh, and, that's a and good Vince one. Vaughn. Yeah. Um, actually, The Replacements. Actually, honestly, I think The Replacements was probably the have first you, thing I saw. Oh, yeah. Well, have you seen, did you ever see the first uh, feature film that he directed called um, Made? S- no. Yeah, it's, it's him and Vince Vaughn. Like, Are you this talking was about Swingers? Fall- no, this was a follow-up to Swingers. Oh, he didn't oh, direct oh. Swingers. Yeah, I was gonna say he. Did. Uh, I thought that was Doug Liman. Yeah, it was Doug Liman. Yeah. So the first film that Favreau uh, directed was called Made, and mm. it was him, again him and and um, Vince Vaughn, yeah. and they played like these two. Uh, it's these two like 
kind of two bit thugs, like henchmen, boxers, um, like the the nose breaker types. They they go to collect some money for this drug dealer, mm. and they're just like bumbling fools, basically. So it's it's not uh, a bad movie, but it feels just like a cheap knockoff of swingers in a, in a way because oh, they, sure. they're literally, I think in Vegas again. So of course. yeah. 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 So. <laughs> Vegas baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so wh- yeah. Favreau, he's come a long way. That was the point. Like he's come a very long way since that, <laughs> since that yeah. movie. Well, so. he, he made a, a Christmas, what's now a bona fide Christmas classic with Elf. Yep. Like, yeah. Which just rewatched a mate. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah. What, what else? There's can you a, it's incredible. There's a um, a series on Netflix called uh, the Christmas movies that made us or something I like that. Have you seen this. it? Yeah. Okay. Did you see the Elf one? Yeah. I just yeah, yeah. just watched it. Awesome. Yep. Super good. Yeah, and it also goes to show like how hard it is to get a movie made. Yep. Even what feels like obviously in retrospect that this feels like a bulletproof idea, like it's a genius idea, but it like it you know the hurdles you have to jump. How many people passed on it? Just right. you know securing someone like Will Ferrell. Even getting James Caan, you know, and what, hearing what he was like on set, seeing that those <laughs> New York City scenes with the crowds were just weren't extras. Those are real people like like the dude that looks like Santa in the red jumpsuits, just a real dude in New York who's bothered yeah. that Will Ferrell's tapping him on the like, that's brilliant stuff. So, yeah, it's that's so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I think Favreau, again, perfect guy to be controlling yes. the Star Wars universe. And I think. He's well, he's going to take and time over, again. right, for Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, that's all but said. I mean, they have not made that announcement, but it just seems clear that he's the heir to the throne. Uh, we should talk about those announcements, by the way, that just dropped oh, yeah. last week. Huge. Um, and, you know, there's implications because of Ahsoka. And maybe I won't go into, you know, talking about those Mandalorian episodes, the last three. won't go into spoilers. But um, other than Ahsoka, which I think at this point <laughs> is out there, Rosario Dawson plays a character that is was introduced in the Clone Wars um also was in the show rebels uh i will say for people that are not hardcore star wars fans they're not going to know who ahsoka tano is she's not in the movies um and also in that same episode they make a reference to another character that's from the expanded universe like the legacy books um that you know i watched it with my sister and her family in texas and they said this name uh, and I won't reveal it for spoiler reasons i guess but uh, they all kind of looked at me like who who's this it guy was- that they just was the name Darth Vader? Yeah, yeah. I was I like, yeah. Him. So you got to understand. So it start. He was. He used to be named Anakin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he made some choices. Well, that's that's a good segue into those announcements that we just yeah, got about. Yeah. So I'm curious. So I, I mean, dude, what a breathtaking amount of announcement. Like, just how much Star Wars content that they announced at the Disney Investor Meeting, where they said that they're gonna have ten show, ten new Star Wars shows. I didn't think that they were going to announce what like half of them were going to be or more than half. Um, and they did. And I'm getting text messages. I'm in the middle of the work day. You know, I'm in these meetings and I'm getting bombarded with text messages and links to tweets. I'm like, what is going on? And I can see that it's like Star Wars related, but like I'm trying not to be distracted because I'm in meetings. And then as soon as the meeting ends, I pull it up. But I, I, I just couldn't even breathe because I was like, wait, what is what's real and what's not here? Are these all announcements that were made in a 30 minutes? Like I, it was <laughs> staggering, Aaron. Yeah, it seemed fake. Honestly, it did. It feel uh, yeah. Or if you had just seen the, the like you said, the tweets or the uh, text messages, it sounded like a joke. Totally. Because the the properties that they were talking about. I mean, not even just Star Wars though. How about Willow? A Willow oh. TV show? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, so, this uh, is what's crazy is that this is all Lucasfilm. Just the Lucasfilm portion. You know. Yeah. Uh, not to say anything of the you know the Marvel uh, announcements for Disney Plus, but 
but for the Lucasfilm stuff, there's a there's a graphic that shows all these logos of all the Star Wars shows they announced, as well as the Willow show, and then they, they have an Indiana Jones logo up yep. there. They made no reference to the Indiana Like, um, is that a movie, a show, or what is the, you know? I know yeah. that they had announced Indiana Jones 5, um, or really what should be known as 4, because <laughs> there is no 4. Um, but it's just like, it's like, oh, I guess the Indiana Jones, like, are we going to get any more information? He, like, it's just, there's so much stuff. But I want to know, with the staggering amount of announcements, what caught your eye or what made you the most excited out of the it's, new it's Star the, Wars stuff? It's the one that I've been looking forward to the most ever since I saw the, or it's the only good thing to come out of the prequels is the Obi-Wan stuff. Well, I mean, so yeah, the Obi-Wan show really? is by far. Yeah, I think. So uh, we knew I, that, right? They had already announced yes, that one. Exactly. But the thing is, I'm just, I've always been a huge mark for uh, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Just a huge fan. Always. And then I thought he was far and away the best performance in any of the prequels. Mm. Um, and he, he just like his character was actually interesting. Uh, so, yeah, to see them actually to see them give him his own series and to see where it's going or, or the po- thinking about the possibilities of where they can go with it. I think uh, that one's got me the most excited. So. So the big announcement with that one, since the, I mean, they had announced that at the last Star Wars celebration or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, but at this investor meeting, they announced that Hayden Christensen is going to be back to play Vader. Right. Something I admittedly not jumping out of my seat of excitement for, but we'll see. Just keep the helmet on, Vader. Um, <laughs> so there were two movies that were announced, and then the rest of them were Disney Plus shows. So the two movies, uh, one is Patty Jenkins, uh, director of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, she is directing a Rogue Squadron movie, and they had a little mm-hmm. sizzle reel or a little announcement video with her, which was really cool. Uh, hugely exciting. Love the idea of a movie based on just a bunch of X-wing fighter pilots. We don't know anything other than the, other than what I've learned playing Rogue Squadron on the yeah. Nintendo sixty four. Exactly. <laughs> which, by the way, let me know if you're ever selling that and in your new business of selling old video games. Uh, I would pay an embarrassing amount of money to be able to do it, play Rogue Squadrons again. But anyway, that movie is exciting. Uh, and then that's the next techni- technically next Star Wars film, mm, which okay. I'm kind of surprised they're – I almost feel like they don't need to – of course they're going to make new Star Wars movies. But like Disney Plus, it just – the model of doing the TV shows is just su- such a better way to enjoy the Star yep. Wars you know, universe. But anyway. The second film was the Taika Waititi film, which they had announced before, but they kind of made it official that this would be the second film after uh, Patty Jenkins. Now, the the series where Obi-Wan Kenobi, like you mentioned, was announced, uh, Ahsoka, so an entire uh, Disney Plus series based on the uh, Rosario Dawson character that we saw uh, two episodes ago in Mandalorian. I mean, that seemed like a no-brainer, like... Oh, as yeah. soon as I saw her in the episode, I was like, okay, she's getting her own show. This looks too good. She's great in the role. It's sure. really, she's a beloved character. Um, next one I have some questions about. Uh, it's Rangers of the New Republic. So both Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic are spinoffs from Mandalorian. So Rangers of the New Republic, I'm assuming, are like the Cara Dune character, Grief Karga, who are marshals. Um, maybe oh, okay. uh, Cobb Vance from, or was it Cobb Vanth from episode one played by Timothy Oliphant, who was also oh, a marshal on Tatooine. I doubt that they're going to get him, but who knows? That would um, be pretty cool if they did actually. 
Yeah, I mean, did you did maybe. you ever watch uh, Timothy Oliphant and Justified? Justified, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. great. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, he's great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Yep. Um, so uh, hopefully, what I hope Rangers of the New Republic, I hope it's not the X-wing fighter pilots played by Dave Filoni, one of the, the uh, showrunners, co-showrunner <laughs> or writers of the series, who keeps putting himself in cameos, which is needless. Uh, but it, yeah, it's set within the timeline of the Mandalorian. It's a Filoni, Favreau executive produced, just like the rest of these. So those are the two spinoffs from Mandalorian. Now the new series. Um, uh, a series on Cassian Andor, which, again, previously announced, but uh, have confirmed that that will be the next uh, series after season three of The Mandalorian, in tw- uh, which will come out a year from now, uh, December 2021. So in 2022, we will have Andor will be the next series and then Obi-Wan, from what I understand. Uh, so that's about, you know, that's with Diego Luna. Huge fan of his. I thought he was great in Rogue One. I'm all in. A spy. I'm assuming this will be like a spy series. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he was. And so I'm all about genre. Like, let's dedicate each one of these series as its own kind of genre, you know. So I think it'll be really exciting. Um, then there's The Acolyte. Uh, Leslie Headland, who uh, was nominated for an Emmy uh, for Russian Doll. So I think she's the showrunner, co-showrunner for Russian Doll on Netflix, if you watch that. She has, uh, yeah, all we know about this one is that it's a mystery thriller series that will take an audience into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic. So there's that. Um, and then there's a couple of animated sh- series, The Bad Batch, um, Star Wars Visions, um, which are animated shorts, a droid story, which is animated. And then my, honestly, the one I'm most excited about uh, is Lando, the Lando show. Mm -hmm. Now, that's only, of course, assuming they get Childish Gambino uh, in there, (laughs) Donald Glover. (laughs) I mean, there's no way they're building a series around Billy D. Williams. But if they had Donald Glover locked in for the series, they would have announced that. And so I'm, I'm surprised that they made the announcement without having him locked in. I could see them doing like a a a flash forward flashback with Billy D Williams, almost kind of like better call Saul at the beginning of each mm-hmm. season. They have that black and white, you know, Saul now. And then the, you know, they could do something like that. I don't know, but um, I, think, I love Lando. Yeah. I think they are recasting him because I, I don't see, I can't see Donald Glover locking himself into that, to that role. Um, you don't think so. I mean, well, well he has his, he has the TV show Atlanta, and he can't even. He doesn't have the time to even make that. So Atlanta's not. How much money is he really getting for Atlanta, though? Oh like no, I think that show's actually costing him money, like literally, yes, because yes. he can't do other stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, that's true. Right. Opportunity yeah. cost. Yeah. But as amazing as Atlanta is, it doesn't have high viewership, and FX essentially is you know, greenlighting it on a fairly low budget to let them be experimental. Right. Lando is how he secures that bag. That's how he's getting the paper. So that's the only, I mean, not that, I, I'm assuming he doesn't need it. He seems to be very successful. You know, mm-hmm. Lion King probably, you know, got him a new house. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was obviously the best part of Solo. So give me a series with Don McGlover. Really it excited. would be amazing if they can get him to do it. I just don't see how that, that happens. I don't see that he would lock himself into that. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, final uh, thing on Mandalorian before we get into Mank here. Um, we talked about the last three episodes being real bangers. Uh, the most recent one, we uh, Bill Burr is back yep. as uh, Migs Mayfield, uh, the felon uh, who's going to help them. The sharpshooter, sharpshooting felon, yes. In, former Imperial sharpshooter, much yep. like Fennec Shand. 
Um, so this is the Bill Burr episode, and I did not expect them to let Bill Burr cook. And it's really he's the I mean he is the star of the show in this episode. Oh, yeah. It was really kind of stunning, and like this uh, this episode otherwise would have been just kind of a connector episode again it's, it was penultimate so it would have been you know it's there to set up the big finale we'll right. probably get like an hour long or the more big than an showdown hour long and, yeah. Yeah. yeah and so it's there to kind of connect here to the you know but what happens in this episode and i think honestly without bill burr it would have been it would have been, the episode would have been just fine and necessary and okay mm-hmm. but bill burr his both his acting and the character arc and everything that happens just with his character. And, you know, they don't have a lot of time to, like, develop a whole bunch of stuff. But they do just enough that, like, they this might have been my favorite episode of the season. Like, it's that – like, he is so good. You know, Bilber as a com- – you know, he's a comedian. But he is so good at uh, emoting um, – I'm putting up a screenshot now. There's just – and, again, we're not going to go into spoilers. But there's just this scene where he – the dialogue is amazing. He is seething in anger as he is having this conversation that he, you know, it's you could you could feel the pent up emotion. Uh, he's just this ticking time bomb, and Bill Burr just executes this flawlessly from an acting standpoint. Really, hats off to him. Like, really incredible work. Uh, I I loved it. I also love the message of it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it was pretty political for Star Wars. Yeah. Very much so. It was very overt. I think that by far, like this is my favorite episode of the series. I'm a huge Bill Burr fan. Have been for many, many years. Yeah. And I think that Bill, um, his acting has come a very, very long way. Uh, We saw what he could, uh, a taste of what he could do in uh, Breaking Bad. He was great in that in his little role. Um, And but this, this episode, like you said, is his. And not only does he carry it, he dunks it. Like he, he, he flat out takes off from the free throw line and reverse jams it. Like this is he's so good in this he's role. So good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you really have to hand it to the writing and the directing and yeah. everything. It's it's just um, handled so expertly. This short little episode, only thirty minutes, self contained. But like you said, there's ups and downs. There's an arc. Um, there's there's really like you said, it's it is political. Um, What's what I found like subtly fascinating was uh, there's a scene I don't like you said I don't want to go into spoilers mm-hmm. but they flip they flip it on on its head where you find yourself kind of rooting for the bad mm-hmm. guys <laughs> I'll just put it I'll just leave it there but you kind of you kind of feel relieved that yes. the bad guys are doing something yes. um, and and that was just like that was a very sweet moment I, I thought wow the way they um, pulled this off well, is special. Well, yeah, and they were saluting, yeah. and it was yep, you yep, know yep. the whole yeah. The whole about, I never thought you'd be excited to see stormtroopers. It's really something, <laughs> and it puts you in that world because you kind of need to be in that yes. frame of mind for the scene that I was referring to for that payoff yep. to work. You kind of have to be in that frame of mind of like these are the good guys. Totally, uh, totally, it, it was and that's really brilliant. Th- and that could be so easily screwed up if it's oh, in the yeah. wrong hands. Yeah, um, but again, the it's all predicated on this performance by bill burr like yeah. if bill is the star of this episode or his character is the star of this episode you need like a bang up performance out of him if you're if you're really going to get that punch yeah. of um all the stuff that happens and how it plays out and everything feels earned in this little in this little um one-off 
I just uh, I watched it, I liked it so much I watched it back to back and oh, I've yeah. never done that before. <laughs> wow! <laughs> the, so this was your fir- I watched it back to back as well, but this was your first. Yeah. This is uh, the Mandalorian first Mandalorian episode. episode back to back, and it's a it's a it's a crisp. It's a, you know it's thirty two minutes or something. I mean, you go, it's yep. not very long. It's maybe thirty four. It it, no, it it moves. It quickly. moves, man. It moves. Yeah. It, the again, the editing is super tight. Everything about it is just like fast paced, and it, it yeah. all flows perfectly. There's no lulls. There's no time for it. Like Dude. everything. There's just so much that happens in that moment. And what's awesome, I thought was. It doesn't. So you get a you get a little bit of a bow wrap up at the end. However, sure. there is questions that remain. Yeah. So it's like that's part of the fun. It's like what happens over what happens here next? now. Like, yes. Like all this stuff can go through your head, and and it's not a nice and neat package, um, which is odd for Star Wars. A- anything yeah. really. So, yeah, I just can't recommend this episode enough. Oh, yeah. I thought Bill was amazing. Um, I think uh, he's only going to go on to do better things. He's so great. He's dude. He's extremely talented. And he was great in you know I saw him King of Staten Island with Pete Davidson, mm-hmm. the Jed Apatow movie. Yeah, this guy clearly has got acting chops. We saw him in oh, Breaking yeah. Bad in his kind of small bit part. Um, but yeah, two two my two last thoughts though on this episode. They still Bill Burr is still able to do kind of his quippy Bill Burr things, yep. and it really does make me wonder if it's just the delivery of Bill Burr or if he has how much room he has to massage some of these one-liners. Like, I know he's not like a big Star Wars fan, so he's not going to know a lot of the, the dialogue, but like just like little parts where, um, you know, uh, the, our, our main hero, the protagonist, uh, you know, has to put on, um, you know, some stormtrooper armor to, you know, to hide themselves to, you know, uh, get into, you know, uh, across enemy lines and just little things like, you know, when he comes out wearing, you can tell that he's ashamed to be wearing a different helmet or whatever. And he goes, oh, what would they say on Mandalore? You know, just just his quips are so, I was dying. Yeah. But like in, when they're riding in the, the little truck thing, um, you know, and Bill Burr's going on about, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of getting a little philosophical, a little bit, you know, uh, just like it, they make really good use of that time. But there's another quip in there when he's talking about how, like, you go to Alderaan, they believe one thing. You go to Mandalore, they believe another. Mm-hmm. Everyone believes they're different things. But guess what? Both those places don't exist anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, like oh, my gosh. Like, it's, yeah. It, I mean, it's like, it's weirdly, too, like, his delivery is, is yep. uniquely Bill Burr, but it's perfect for the character. He's so good. And yeah. And the second, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, and we know how um, hard it is to pull off little lines like that because we've oh, seen it in other Star Wars films, especially if you don't have the delivery, if you don't have the chops, oh, um, right. that stuff falls flat. Like, it's really, really difficult. And it takes someone that is a talented performer that understands comedy, like a Bill Burr, to oh, yeah. pull that off. Um, and that's just all instinct for him. And, but it's but it's not just instinct because he's worked at his craft for so long yes. that um, he deserves credit for it too Definitely. because uh, he does have the natural ability, but he also has the actual chops to pull it off too. So guy's just a hell of a talent. Love Bill Burr. Um, and then my second point, last thing, I love in I love the little moments, and this happens in both season one and season two, little moments where you're able to explore some Star Wars things that you've always kind of wondered about. And they don't really bring attention to it. They don't say anything to it. But, you, you, you know, those who know, know. And what I'm referring to is the uh, the mechanics of the ship, Slave One, um, is unlike any other Star Wars ship in the sense that, like, it lands upside down, basically, from the cockpit. And it comes up and then it flies forward like that, you know. <laughs> and then it, it goes back upside down to land again. And it's kind of... 
I've always wondered like, wait, well, what that's, okay, hold on. What's the physics here of loading up cargo that's then immediately upside, you know, up, you go from laying down right. to right side up, you know? And it's just this, there's a scene on the ship where Bill Burr and the Mandalorian and some of the other characters are sitting there talking while the ship takes off. And you see them in the background behind them, you see the movement of Slave One as it's going from taking off to flying and it's just you know it's it's a, an effect shot that i'm sure took some time um but it's kind of showing the inner workings of like what it's like to be in the and it's like you know little nerdy stuff but i love it i love it yep. so much it's like oh yeah okay that makes sense i see how it could work you know like because as a little kid i'm dealing with the miniature slave one from empire strikes back that's filmed <laughs> like at scale you know and so anyway, yeah no, i that's, love those little touches those are yeah exactly those little touches really fill out um, um, an episode like this or a show like this, really. It's like, if you don't have those little touches, you don't have the show. Like Even though it's subtle and it's forgettable, um, all those little choices make a huge difference in the end. I think that's it's pretty obvious. Like, Everyone that's involved with this loves this the the property, and they're taking their time and they're they're putting their little touches on it too, because this is the stuff that they grew up and these are the questions that they had probably oh, yeah. when they were a kid. So um, it's a whole lot of fun. It's great. Really excited for the final episode. Really excited for all the new shows. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think. All right. And I think I will probably go back and just watch every episode of the season again, just because it. Yeah. Um, it deserves it. Yeah, like Ted Lasso. I'll be revisiting these episodes a bunch of times. <laughs> um, Forever. All right. Our main event. David Fincher released a new movie. The one and, and only. We did a, an episode of this pod years ago where we did our Mount Rushmore of directors, if you recall. And part of the criteria of who makes it on your Mount Rushmore is that it's a director who, if they release a film, you're seeing it opening night. Now, this is... Fincher's first feature film on a streaming service. Of course, he's done House of Cards and Mindhunter, but this is his first feature film on Netflix, Mank. Now, I don't remember, Aaron, was David Fincher on your Mount Rushmore? Because he was on mine. Um, I I don't, I think I left Fincher off, but I mean, of all the current directors, I think he's, he's part of the elite. Like he's one of the greatest for sure. Didn't Um, you go to a Q and A with him for Gone Girl? As a matter of fact, well, it was actually not a Q and A. It was a, he was hosting it for uh, casting or certain members of the crew. Um, so he was in attendance. He didn't answer any questions, but he oh, was there. But he was there. Um, you were. He did introduce the movie. What's that? Is that the ArcLight or where were you? No, this was at the um, Writers Guild. It was the Writers Guild. Um, Jeez, like a screening room in the Writers Guild. So, Mister Hollywood over here. Card-bearing <laughs> Writers Guild member. <laughs> no, I, I wish. I was there uh, changing the, the trash can liners. And they let me <laughs> I told them I had a lot of experience. So. <laughs> uh, but you you love Fincher. He's amazing. Great He's supremely stuff. talented. Yeah. Um, so Mank, I think it's, I guess I want to, there's a lot of different ways we can tackle this. Mank, I will say, I saw that it was in Netflix's top 10 the weekend it came out, but it dropped out quickly. And that doesn't surprise me because I don't think Mank is like the typical Netflix easy watching type of fare. In fact, I will say that like I've watched through it twice now. And my first time watching it, I, I actually watched it in segments. Um, 
it's the type of film, honestly, that I wish I could have sat down in a theater with no distractions, no phones, no anything to just watch beginning to end. Yep. Uh, Because, look, Mank, for those that don't know the, you know, what Mank is about, it's a black and white, um, you know, uh, I guess it's a nonfiction um, about a famed writer uh, from the 19, I guess, 20s, 30s and 40s, Herman Mankiewicz, who was the co-writer of Citizen Kane. I don't know if it's co-writer or or sole writer. I guess that's part of what the movie is getting at. But he won the Academy Award uh, with Orson Welles for the adapted or for the original screenplay um, mm-hmm. for Citizen Kane. And so this is a film that explores. I mean, going in, I will say watching this, I thought I was going to watch a movie about how he wrote Citizen Kane and the, yes. the making of Citizen Kane. This movie is not about the making of Citizen Kane. No. Uh, what were your expectations? Were you surprised by what this movie ended up being? And did you like it more or less because of it? Yeah, I'm in the same exact boat. You know, I uh, I only watched the trailer once. I, I wanted to be surprised about it. But everything that I read about it or heard about it was implying that it was basically the behind the scenes of how Citizen Kane came to be. Um, and and the, the way the movie starts, it is like you get introduced to that. It's like... The, the veneer of this movie is that it is the behind the scenes of how Citizen Kane comes to be. But the reality is, like, it's way much, much more about um, the ins and outs of Hollywood at the time. Which, I mean, obviously there's a connection to how that, uh, how that, or there is an, um, a connection to how Citizen Kane got made because it was in the Hollywood, or was in the uh, big studio system movie so all that stuff is is playing together but really what this is about is um this herman mankiewicz um the the man more than anything else is like what he believes in um how he's dealing with this crazy system that he's a part of um and how it's it's not just the movie business it's the politics it's um the the his fellow writers he's uh he's getting dragged into these all these situations that he's reluctant to be involved with but he like if you see the way that he's portrayed he's like he obviously has a feeling about how things should be but he's reluctant to influence them to put his thumb on the scale um so so he's just dragged into all these different situations kicking and screaming the guy is like he's a degenerate drunk he but he's incredibly talented super smart yes he's 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 like a literal genius yes um super charismatic and uh like this is what right everyone wants him very very funny funny, sharp-witted yeah super smart guy very funny on top of the ball um and so that's what the movie explores it's all about the man uh mank and what he has to deal with on a daily day-to-day basis and what goes into eventually making um, you know, a, a co-writing um, what people consider the greatest Hollywood movie of all time right. and Citizen Kane. And uh, it's just really a fascinating portrayal of like what the studio system w- was at the time, um, all the stuff, the inner workings, uh, the people involved, the power brokers, uh, the politics. And um, it, it's really like if you love Hollywood, old Hollywood, um, then this is the type of movie that you're going to enjoy. You you probably should see Citizen Kane before watching this movie to get the most out of it. Yes. Um, so if so, you haven't dude, seen Citizen Kane, I would suggest watching it first, then watching Mank. But Aaron, that's <laughs> the, and therein lies the rub, okay? Because yes. 
people of a certain generation, my generation, I should say ours. Uh, I know you don't like to admit that you're technically a millennial, but <laughs> we on the outer part, cusp. You right on the outer cusp. Mm-hmm. Culturally, you identify with whatever the generation is before ours. I don't even pay attention to what those titles are. I only care about me. I'm a millennial, but. Um, we haven't seen Citizen Kane. And when I say yes. we, I'm saying the collective we. Right. I have personally. That's right. But like most of my friends have not seen Citizen Kane. Most of my friends have no desire to see Citizen That's Kane. Right. Most of my friends don't have a desire to see any film made before 1970. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or even 60s. Citizen Kane was made in 40, 41. And so it's even though it's been heralded uh, for a long period of time as the consensus greatest film of all time, or at least the greatest American film of mm-hmm. all time. It still isn't enough to get people to watch it. And and this idea of should you watch it before you see Mank? I will tell you right now. I watched rewatched it as in Kane before watching Mank. And while you can still totally understand Mank and enjoy it without having seen Citizen Kane, it is an infinitely better experience having seen Citizen Kane. And if possible, recently, just because there are little things and moments where I like I understood like, oh, the Amanda Seyfried character when she's referencing, you know, who she is in the script. You know, like I, I probably if I hadn't rewatched Citizen Kane recently, I wouldn't have remembered exactly which character sure. she was referring. Like little things like that. Yeah. Um, but I will just to just to talk about this Citizen Citizen Kane question here because to to a lot of people that is more of a chore than watching Mank and getting people to watch Citizen Kane before watching Mank it could be a non-starter. Sure. But I will say that the first time I saw Citizen Kane, I was in high school, and as you can imagine. <laughs> Uh, I had to watch it in school. It was a video production class. Mm. And I was bored just to death, as was everyone else in the class with me. And my teacher, bless her, Mrs. Hathaway, just one of the greats, um, you know, she presents this film as the greatest film of all time, as she should. And I'll never forget after the film ends, when she kind of pulls the classroom about what we thought about it, she was stunned at our general apathy, if not just dislike of the film. Like she couldn't wrap her head around like how we didn't respond to even the technical aspects of it. And remember, this is a video production class. So this is me and a bunch of nerds who love video equipment making, you know, this yeah. is right, is pre-YouTube of course, but like this is right when video equipment is starting to become very accessible and available. And so there's a lot of people in there that are kind of geeks and nerds, but n- literally no one in the class raised their hand when she asked if anyone liked it. Then she calls on me. Oh, no. Oh, just I it breaks my heart because, you know, she had been my sixth grade teacher in elementary school. So I'd known mm-hmm. her for some time now. Right. She's, you know, one of one of my favorite, if not my favorite teacher. And she's like, David, tell me you you recognize Citizen Kane as a great like you. You loved it. Right. Like, you know, this is the greatest. And I, I, I'm like and I couldn't lie to her. I said, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't really care for it and she was just devastated she's like not even you and it like appears <laughs> to me it's like not even i just thought like i didn't want to lie to her but it was just so it was i was so bored that's so I funny just wasn't someone who was interested like i just couldn't take in a black and white film made in 1940s about like a n- newspaper tycoon mm-hmm. and the, just even that how uninterested i was as a 15 16 year old in that arc of the story and those types of people um, I can tell you revisiting Citizen Kane though now at the, you know, I'm 33, I think, um, <laughs> I'm 34, almost 34. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in my early thirties and I rewatched Citizen Kane for the purposes of Mank in the week before. And Aaron, I, I, it honestly blew me away. 
I, it, I, like, I fell out of, like, fell off my couch watching it because of how good it is yeah. across the board. Orson Welles is stunning in it and believable as a 26-year-old all the way up to a, you know, 70-year-old. Mm-hmm. He plays all these ages. The screenwriting is incredible. The story, it's also totally applicable to our times now. There's a yep. lot of parallels yep. to what's going on now with news as well as, you know, e- even scenes of where Orson Welles runs for office and when he doesn't yep. win, his newspaper claims fraud, you know. <laughs> Like, but I watched and I just thought, oh, yeah, this is I can see, you know, maybe it's not my favorite movie of all time, but absolutely I understand why this would be considered the greatest film of all time. It's an incredible achievement. And so for those who are non-believers in Citizen Kane, who maybe haven't revisited it for a long time, like myself, I would say give it a chance because it really is an incredible document. It's an incredible film, um, but also because Mank will be that much better because when Mank starts... You know, I talked about expectations. I thought it'd be about the make, maybe the writing of the film and then the making of it. It's not that. What we get is a movie very much structured like Citizen Kane with flashbacks to the past and flash forwards to the future. And very early on, it's clear that that's going to be happening throughout. And I'm like, oh, this is this is Herman Mankiewicz getting the Citizen Kane treatment. Mm-hmm. This is what, you know, the the, out, the results are very different in terms of, like, the arc of the character, but the treatment of the story and how, it, you know, it's poetry. Fincher is very poetic here. Uh, and I, it really was not what I was expecting. Um, so, you're, I'm curious, Citizen Kane for you, like, you haven't watched it in, what, a decade or so? Yeah, it's probably been uh, at least 10 years. But, yeah, I didn't, I've never, I hadn't seen Citizen Kane until I took a film history class and um, uh, that was part of a, an assignment was to watch Citizen Kane. And and at that point, you know, I was in my early 20s and I had uh, a fascination with film and in general. So I had an interest in it. And, you know, taking on that lesson and getting instruction from the, uh, from the professor and, and him going into detail why this is a genius film, a work of art, that, that helped a lot. It helped me appreciate the film a lot. I wouldn't say it's, you know, my favorite movie by any means, right. um, but I've gone back and revisited and, and every time I'm completely astonished at how they pulled it off. It's yeah. just amazing. Uh, everything about it, from the production to the performances to everything, the execution in general is just amazing. And, and again, revolutionary yeah. stuff that they were doing in that. So, and, yeah. and put aside from the fact that they're taking on the man who controls media, right? Like, absolutely, what actually doing is crazy. Let alone yes. the fact that the execution of it is yep. is marvelous and impeccable. But like culturally, what they were doing was unheard of, and we see that in the movie Mank. You know, when people realize that the script that uh, Herman's working on is echoes the life of uh, William Randolph Hearst the people closest to him in his life try and talk him out of doing this. Right. Uh, and how dangerous this might be. And with good reason. Uh, but I loved, I loved how they, did, again, Fincher is so on the money here. The audio also in them, it's worth mentioning, they try to make it sound like a film from the 1940s, mm-hmm. which um, could have been a lot more distracting than it was. I actually thought it, it worked out really well and added a lot to it. But um, this film is about, and you, you alluded to this a little bit, but it's really about this guy that is a part of the studio system, has his own beliefs, but isn't really – isn't trying to um, l- not live them, but like uh, he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. He wants people he – wants, he wants people to like him. He's likable. He wants mm-hmm. people to laugh. He wants to stay employed. He doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. Yeah. 
But as he gets closer and closer to these figures like Louis B. Mayer and Will- William Randolph Hearst, who takes mm-hmm. a liking to him and brings him in as this court jester to, you know, yep. and, and he's happy to play the part like, hey, the most powerful man in America, uh, you know, likes me. Like, yeah, I-, I could see how that would be flattering. And you get to go to these big fancy parties. And, you know, again, people really liked Herman Mankiewicz because he was fun and funny to have around. Although he was, again, just a debilitating alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And there is a a scene in this film where he's talking to um, Irving Thalberg, who's a famous MGM executive. Uh, There's there's this subplot. Again, I did not know that this movie would go in this direction, but there's the subplot that gets political. There's a California gubernatorial race. Uh, between Miriam and um, Frank Miriam and, and Upton Sinclair. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating how the politics of that play into um, what's going, like what he writes in the script, because there is a whole political angle in Citizen Kane when he runs for office and how that's informed by this California gubernatorial race and how he is completely different politically than Louis B. Mayer or his friend, even Irving Thalberg, and certainly William Randolph Hearst, but isn't one to like, again, he's not going to, uh, you know, rock the boat when it comes to, right. uh, you know, he goes to these parties and they're talking about, you know, politics and he just doesn't say anything. He doesn't want to. Uh, but there's this scene with Irving Thalberg and I wrote down the quote because th- this is really the kind of the crux of the movie where he's upset at Irving Thalberg because they're making these uh, these short films that are anti Upton Sinclair uh, with actors, but making it look like they're real people that are try- that are complaining about. Upton Sinclair or they're, you know, wanting uh, uh, Miriam to win or whatever. But they're like totally propaganda pieces. They're fake. It's literally fake news. And he confronts Irving Thalberg about it. And they have this conversation. um, And at the end, Irving says, and quote, I know what I am, Mank. When I come to work, I don't consider it slumming. I don't use humor to keep myself above the fray. And I always go to the mat for what I believe in. I haven't got the time to do otherwise. But you, sir... How formidable people you, like you might be if they actually gave at the office. And that, like that, that quote, which struck me the first time I watched it, was like that. The moment when he was like, "Okay, I've, am I a man of conviction or am I not? Like, going, am I going to go to the mat for what I believe in?" And ultimately, when he gets this opportunity to write a script for Orson Welles, uh, uncredited work, which is what he'd mostly done on films like Wizard of Oz and other stuff up to this point in his career. Um, he gets an opportunity to write the story and he goes after William Randolph Hearst, who he had been in the inner circle of. And, his, and he had a, a, a great knowledge of um, his life and mm-hmm. his love interests mm-hmm. and what the guy was like. And he did what was the unthinkable. And that's how he goes out. I love how his brother, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Mankiewicz, he won the Academy Award for All About Eve. And I mm-hmm. mean, he's won multiple Academy Awards more accomplished than Herman Mankiewicz. He comes out to visit him while he's writing the script and he tries to talk him out of, you know, going after William Randolph Hearst. But on his way out, his brother turns to him and says, it's the best thing you've ever written. <laughs> and it's a great line. You know, it's, and, it's, and it's true, right? It goes on, of course, to be the greatest, considered the greatest film of all time. But I, dude, the movie starts slow, which is unfincher-like in a way that had me concerned because I was like, oh, my gosh, is this going to reel people in? Are people going to be interested in this? But it just, like, slowly blossoms like a flower. And by the end, it's really cooking. And I was st- – honestly, I loved this movie. Uh, it, but it took time for it to really grow and kind of show you what it was, what it was trying to do, what it was. And finally, by the end, I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I think this movie's brilliant. Like, yeah. it's brilliant. 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so the, my feeling is uh, the movie itself, the way it's presented, um, is like a pressure cooker. Like the the way that it starts off is like it's building, it's building, it's building, and the pressure is like is on uh, Manx's shoulders. Like he, you can see it inside of him the, when he when he interacts with these people, his bosses. Um, like you said, he's he's a reluctant team player. Like he's he has these convictions, he has these beliefs, and. He will state those beliefs honestly, sure. but he doesn't press. He doesn't press the issue. He says his part, and then he he lets it be. Um, he lets his you know his bosses uh, dictate the flow or whatever. And but yeah, that's part of the pressure. Like that's part of the buildup, and all this stuff is falling on his shoulders. All of this responsibility, all these pressures are getting to him, and then eventually he lets that all out. Like it it explodes into that movie that he into the screenplay that he writes and i think that's like you know they talk about pressure building creating diamonds like that is what this is like he's a piece of coal he has all this pressure on top of him and what happens is he turns into a diamond and that diamond is that screenplay um it the guy is just so brilliant that uh he had it had to come out eventually and when it did it's just like the greatest <laughs> the greatest story ever told in Hollywood. So, yeah, he's just an insanely talented, uh, special individual. What I found was really interesting. Um, you could see, like, the relationships that he was forming and how he kind of doesn't manipulate the people that he's talking to or, or interacting with. But it's it's very obvious that he's on a different level. So he's like kind of playing down to whoever he's uh, talking to at the moment or um he he like he he will sh- um sink to their level in a sense like he's operating on some other on this other like plane of existence of just genius but when he's talking to someone that's like superficial or has these uh, certain beliefs he doesn't talk down to them he just like kind of goes with the flow and it's just like I'm one of you um and this is something that he displays throughout the entire movie. And I think that's a credit to Gary Oldman as a performer. I think he's just a phenomenal actor. Um, I think it's his, the best thing he's ever done. He's I know he he's won the Oscar so for good. Darkest Hour, but like, yeah. he really it should be for this. He's not yeah. going to get it for this, but he's so good. This is the best thing he's done in many, many years. And I think just to talk about the production, too, this is Fincher... The movie that he created is special. Like you can just look at it, the very first frame, very first sequence, and you know you're watching something special that's about to play out. It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like a current movie. It looks like it's something from the past. It sounds like it's something from the past, and the performances are like straight out of the past. Like everything about it feels authentic to the 1930s, 1940s Hollywood, um, and that takes. Um, a level of skill as a director um, that maybe Fincher and like three other directors have <laughs> to like actually yeah. pull it off. That's right. Um, so yeah, a Fincher's on top of his game. Um, obviously, the people that he's working with under him are phenomenal talents. The art direction, amazing cinematography, just beautifully shot. Everything about this movie is like really, really special stuff, and it's crazy that it went straight to Netflix. And I, and I, like you said, I would have loved, absolutely loved to see this movie in a movie theater. It, it's begging to be watched in a movie theater. Um, but, you know, we, the, the times we live in, we can't have that. So yeah, it's too bad. we're lucky enough to catch it on Netflix. Um, I just absolutely love the movie, and I can't oh, rec- I recommend it. it enough. 
Now, now recommend it. So there's a couple like the last two things I want to hit on before we wrap up is that the idea of recommending it to people because people, I love Fincher. A lot of people have been like, oh, Mank, should I watch it? And it's like, yes, but also watch Citizen Kane for, you know, 10 times out of 10. It's I asked very him, hard. Have you seen Citizen yeah. Kane at least semi-recently? No, if, if at all. And it's like, okay, uh, yes, you can still watch it, but like it, it's hard for me. Sometimes it's hard for me to recommend this like mm-hmm. to cinephiles. I don't hesitate. Yes, it's great. It's maybe the best movie of the year. It, it's so good. It's truly great. But I know a lot of people wouldn't get as much out of it as maybe I not that I'm, you know, more cultured or anything like that. But like the whole seeing Citizen Kane, caring about this type of stuff, maybe more than most people do. Like I got a lot more out of it. And so it's been tricky. And so, like, I mean, do you. Yeah, how do you navigate that? Is this the type so, of movie that you can I would just, without qualification? For me, it's just flat out. I mean, I if someone has shows an interest to even want to potentially watch yeah. this movie, I'm going to say go for it. Because yeah. even if you don't have a past knowledge of Citizen Kane, you probably have some so sort of interest in classic Hollywood. And this is like the nuts and bolts. This is the guts of like that corrupt Hollywood studio system um and like all the gory details and so that just on that aspect alone it's super interesting and it's worth watching um, the, the yeah. walk and talk scene with yeah. B. mayor there's a sequence where awesome. he's walking and talking everything he says where he oh my gosh we got like three rules people say we have the most yep. stars than anyone else do not believe that we have one star and it's the lion logo and as he's walking <laughs> and then he turns and it's a theater full of the employees you don't realize he's about to tell them that uh, their pay is going to get cut in half yep. or whatever it is, like for a temporary period of time. But it's just like brutal. It's brutal. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was like all such such Fincher-esque. Um, I want to talk about performances. I know we talked about Gary Oldman. Who else stood out to you? Uh, there, there is an Oscar frontrunner being talked about. Uh, that's I Amanda mean, Seyfried. I was going to say it had to be. She's uh, so good. Seyfried, I mean, she's great. Absolutely incredible. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think her, the, her, and uh, and, and Oldman were just like they're so tops. They're they're phenomenal. But also the guy that played Louis B. Mayer, like he's yeah. a powerhouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. No, he he's absolute standout. Um, oh, what's his name? He's been in so many different things. Arliss um, Howard is his name. Arliss Howard, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, Lannister himself as as William Randolph Hearst, um, who I mean I don't know. I guess he just is born to play a part like that. Uh, <laughs> it didn't require a lot out of him, but of course he's great. Um, even his little, uh, his little brother, Manx's little mm-hmm. brother, who I, we saw recently in Ozark season three, for those who are still watching that show. It's not, not a good show by the way, but um, that's the only thing I've seen him, him in. And, and he's great. Even, I mean, this is Fincher. Fincher doesn't cast the wrong people. Like Fincher puts in um, Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry in, in, in a movie. Yep. And, and, and they're incredible, right? Like yep. Fincher knows how to cast. And he knows how to get performances out of who he casts. There's just not a wrong note. Like all the performances are just, even the Rita Alexander character played by really Lily Collins, you know, doesn't ask for a ton of emotional range, but she's great as the person yes. that's, com- you know, c- composing uh, the, the assistant who's uh, the typist, who's typing up the, essentially the manuscript mm-hmm. for the first draft of Citizen Kane, you know, little bit part. She was great. So wonderful you, performances. What'd you think of um, the casting of uh, Orson Welles? I thought it was awesome. It's great. I, I, and it was and it was all the more effective how little they used him. Yep. The voice was spot on perfect. Did you yes. get quite a bit of it on the phone? Creepy. And obscured shots. How good and it was. Finally, 
it's really cre- I mean, it's really eerie. A- apparently, Fincher, there's a well-known Orson Welles impressionist, a guy who is like, you know, sounds just like him, doesn't look anything like him, but sounds just like him. And he he re- he had him record all of the lines, and he gave it to the actor to listen to that the recordings of the guy doing all of the you know the line readings, and they really worked on it, and it it shows. The guy looks like Orson Welles, and he sounds like Orson Welles, mm-hmm. and he carries himself like Orson Welles. Because Orson Welles carried himself as a towering, somewhat pompous figure. I mean, yes. like a, I mean, that's just watch any interviews on YouTube. By the, I went down that rabbit hole, and I was like, oh, Orson Welles doesn't seem like a likable person. No, <laughs> insufferable is the term. He that really I would... seemed like this insufferable egomaniac. Yes, you know, yeah. like not in the fun way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I just thought that was great, and I love that his presence in the film was while looming was not overpowering and this was not his movie. This is Mank, right? This is not Wells. And I love that. I thought it was just the right amount. So anyway, I, yeah, I really love this movie. I'm happy to hear you liked it as well. So yeah, it's really fascinating watch. And, uh, there's actually a movie called, uh, it was a TV movie and it came out in 1999. It was called RKO 281. Mm. And, um, this is about the production of citizen Kane. And, um, uh, Orson Welles was, play, was played by uh, Lee Schreiber, and uh, I think this was an HBO movie. If I'm oh, not Sabretooth from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> yeah, so uh, and he played, you know, he played uh, Orson Welles, and this movie's actually pretty good. It's it's not yeah. a great movie. It's a TV movie, a cable movie, I should say, but it's all about the. Um, how the how the film got made from Orson Welles' perspective, so um, that's a good companion piece if you ever come across it. Which I don't, I don't even know where you would find it, but yeah. Do you? Did you yeah. What's it called? RKO. RKO two eighty one, and that's because it was an RKO studio movie, and two eighty one was the temporary title. So RKO two eighty one. So, uh, do you know that Linklater made a movie in two thousand eight called Me and Orson Welles? I've heard the title. I've never I've, watched it. It's a Richard Linklater, one of my favorite directors, and yeah. I have not seen the movie. Uh, it had mixed reviews. I, well, actually, I'm looking at 85% Rotten Tomatoes. Not bad. Um, but I was I pulled it up just to see who was cast as Orson Welles because I didn't really remember. Oh, it's someone I don't know. Christian McKay. But the lead is, is Zac Efron. But, uh, wow. It's, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, yeah. So Orson <laughs> Welles... Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to – I love Link later, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be in for the, the, the Zac Efron treatment. I would see it if Zac Efron were playing Orson Welles or playing Ted Bundy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, see, Mank then. That's – I would ask you to rank it in the Fincher rankings, but I know that you're – there's just no way. we know. It's I mean, pending, where, yeah. I need to watch it like four now? or five more times. It's then. not better than Zodiac. It's no. not better no. than Seven. It's not better than Social Network. And but rest, I would say I don't. Know. I would say it might be a better direct director performance. Uh, mm. It might be a better like it might be one of his top two or three performances as a director. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. The well, skill was, just just the skill yeah. level I think is like so much higher than it, it asks more of him as a director than. Yeah. Um, even a movie like Seven or totally, uh, totally, especially Social Network. I mean, Social Network is is fine. He, he directed, uh, uh, he did a great job as director of, oh, of wow. Social Shots Network. Fired. But okay. um, 
not the hardest as far as you know. Whoa, 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 whoa! You tried directing Justin Timberlake as the Napster <laughs> founder, and you tell me, you tell me that's not hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, it's better than Panic Room. Um, yes, good. yeah, uh, I would say absolutely better than Panic Room. And Alien Three. Um, that's a toss-up. Yeah. The game. Oh, I love the game. The game's awesome. The game is great. No, the game's great. It's better than Benjamin Button. Uh, I'm comfortable saying that. Easily better than Benjamin Button. Uh, well, I think that's it. I think that's the episode. Watch The Mandalorian and watch Make. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Before no, we I would say, close? yeah, if you watch either of those, definitely um, watch Mandalorian. Um, and if you like old-timey Hollywood stuff, watch Mank because you'll yeah. like that as well. We may have another episode before our top 10 of the year episode which we're going to bring shannon on i haven't even asked her yet but i'm just gonna i'm, I'm comfortable announcing she we're will gonna we'll not even pencil her we're gonna marker her in for that we'll episode. Mark her and uh we'll bring in skyler uh maybe on the phone lines um maybe uh, i'm kidding he's not gonna be on the podcast <laughs> he can have he can leave a voicemail um, leave, i would love thoughts. if we had a voicemail with from skyler just Listing his five least favorite movies. <laughs> it's Trolls World Tour. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that probably will be our next episode just because movies aren't coming out anymore. Um, and on Christmas Day, we get uh, several that drop. Soul from Pixar, Wonder Woman 1984, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and yeah, I, I, I always love It's my favorite episode of the year is the top 10. And uh, I know it's going to be a struggle for you because I think you've only seen seven movies. So you might yeah. have top I watched, seven. <laughs> I didn't watch a lot of new stuff this year. So, <laughs> Well, I, I, I joked with you in text message. Uh, if it's if it were cheating, if I put The Godfather 3, uh, Ooh, the re-release yeah. called The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, maybe the best movie title of 2020. <laughs> um, but I'm watching that now for the first time. I actually had never seen Godfather 3. I'd avoided it. And so... Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's eligible. It but, counts. Uh, no, I, I say it? it counts. In 2020, it counts. Because I, I haven't finished yet, but so far it's, it's, it's actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I wasn't expecting to be as Andy Garcia. He came to work. Uh, <laughs> Ter- uh, you mean uh, Terry Benedict? Terry Benedict. Those are <laughs> Terry Benedict's casinos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'll look forward to doing that one with you, Aaron. Thanks Absolutely. for joining me, man. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Go see Mank. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. 